But when I do, I always love it. The time here says 11.41, but it's not correct, right, Teresa? It says 11.30 by my watch, so I'm going to try to take about 30 minutes. Oh, before I start, I woke up yesterday morning. I wasn't sick, nothing, but I woke up with a big fever blister on my lip. So if you see my lip kind of look like I have lipstick smeared on it, just don't worry about it. It's just a fever blister. The enemy is a liar. He knew I was coming here to speak today. And he was trying to shut me up. But he won't be able to do that. Amen? Today, I just want to speak about a scripture that you probably have read. We've read it all over many times. But God gives you revelation. And you start to dig. And you find things that just really... Um, bring, bring the word of God to a different level again for you. And I pray, I pray all of you are people of the word. Because if you don't take, spend the time or take the time to study scriptures, you only live on revelation from other people. And that doesn't ever take you anywhere. Deep must always call to deep. Find your own time with the Lord. Take a scripture and just stay with that scripture until God opens your eyes to things you've never seen before. So I'm going to go to a scripture that is familiar to everyone, uh, one of us. It's Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what jumped out at me was the valley. We walk through the valley. God never prevents valleys. God actually allows valleys in our lives. No one is exempt from valleys. You go through them, I go through them. But God says he wants you to walk through the valley. And in that valley, as you're walking through it, there's a shadow. See my hand right there? There's a shadow following you as you're walking through that valley. And the Bible calls it the shadow of what? The shadow of death. That shadow that's following you in that valley will attempt to kill your destiny. Because that shadow wants you to stay in that valley. And once you stay in that valley, the shadow also stays. And that shadow will kill your destiny in the Lord. So what we want to do today is to talk about the kinds of valleys that we go through that can destroy destiny. Like I said, valleys are everything, every one of us will go through them. We must leave them behind us. You've heard it before, you are not supposed to camp there. You're not supposed to build a house there. Everyone, we all go through hard times. We all go through difficult times. You will go through experiences that will bring you to your knees. You will go through experiences that will make you question your very faith in God. But you must not stay there. It is only a valley that you're supposed to walk through. Don't let the shadow of death stay with you while you camp in that valley. So let's look at six valleys that we all must watch out for. The first thing we're going to look at is taken from 
Judges chapter 16 verse 4. Let's look at the first valley. It says in Judges 16:4, after it happened that he loved the woman, we're talking about Samson now, he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek. S-O-R-E-K, Sorek. He loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The valley of Sorek is the first valley you and I must watch for. It's a valley that can, and I've seen it, take a lot of people out of destiny, out of purpose in their lives. As we see here, Samson was in that valley. That valley of Sorek is in ancient Philistine. It's, it's in the Philistia country. He was sent there. If you remember Samson, he was anointed of God for a special purpose. He was a Levite. He, didn't have one, he was not supposed to cut his hair. He had a special anointing on him. He had so much power that he, he can go into a gate, a fortified city, and pull down the gate. God wanted to use him to show the enemy the power that was available to a man who was submitted under God. He went to the valley of Sorek. And Sorek represents in our life what happened with him, distraction. So the valley of Sorek represents distraction. Anything that catches your eye outside the will of God and outside the timing of God is a distraction. Nobody wakes up in the morning and decides, I'm going to fall away from the Lord. I'm going to stop being lukewarm in the Lord. And I'm going to be distracted. You just turned your eye. All you did was just turn your eye. And once you did that, something else other than the Lord caught your eye. And that thing became your focus instead of what God has called you to do. That thing took away things from you that God needed for you to do to achieve a purpose and your destiny. In the case of Samson, we know what happened to him. He went after Delilah, forgot everything the Lord had told him to do, gave his secret away. His hair was cut, which the Lord said he must never be. He gave his secret away and he, he was shaved. And although at the end of his life, he recovered purpose, but he lost a whole lot. He lost his eyes, lost a whole lot. I will tell you, ladies, I've been now a pastor, or, I mean 16 years, but been a Christian for a whole lot more. I can tell you the two areas women get distracted. The matters of the heart and money. The matters of the heart. You will see a young woman, a lady, on fire for the Lord. And then a man comes through that door. And they want prophecy that that man is their husband. They want that man by by hook or by crook. They will lose the weight. They will start dressing different. They will do everything, go to him and dance in front of him just to get the attention. And I'm like, okay. Before you know it, this sister who was coming for Bible study 
who was in the church, every time the door was opened, all she wants is that man. I don't care what you tell her. Let's see if he's grown in the spirit. Let's see if he can be a spiritual head over you. All of that, she's been distracted. Her focus is no longer on God. Her focus is now on this man. And before you know it, maybe the guy is not interested. He marries somebody else. And she's done. She's, she falls apart. Her whole destiny is gone because of a man. The second thing is money. If you've noticed in this church, we don't allow people to sell things to ladies in this church. If she's your friend, you can mail them. If you're selling things to lose weight for your complexion, for whatever it is that business you want to do, that's fine. I'm a nurse practitioner. I have a clinic. I've had my clinic since 2005. I've never one time told anybody in this, in this church, come to my clinic. Never one time. Because I have to learn to separate the call of God on my life and my business place. And so we don't allow that. Because when it starts, before you know it, it's all about money. They come to church, all they want is how many ladies can I get together to buy my stuff. So we don't allow that. Those are the two distractions. And if you allow distractions in your life, it's going to take your focus away from the Lord. And it will derail or destroy your destiny. You must stay focused. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7.35, And this I say for your profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Galatians 5.16 says, I say this, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Serve God without distraction. Anyone who gets distracted long enough will, will, without a doubt, lose their destiny. The second valley we are going to talk about is found in Numbers 32, verse 9. It says, for they went up to the valley of Eschol and saw the land. They were discouraged. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. The second valley that would destroy destiny is the valley of Eschol. Eschol, E-S-H-C-O-L, the valley of Eschol. This was the valley where they were sent to spy on the land that was filled with milk and honey. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, we can take the land. It's flowing with milk and honey. We saw the grapes. They were huge. God has given us the land. Let's go in. But the others, not only were they filled with doubt and unbelief, they went back to the camp and tried and discouraged the other people not to go in. And because of that, only those that were 20 years old and under, I believe 20 years old and under, were able to go into the land of promise. This one right here not only affects you, but affects people around you, affects your children, affects people that you might not even know 
it, will, it could affect. And this valley is the valley of doubt and unbelief. The valley of Eschol represents doubt and unbelief. This one is the one that we have to be careful because we all do have doubts. We all do have unbelief. We all do have times where we have waited long and, and hard enough for the promise of God spoken over our life to come to pass. And it's taking so long. And so we change our confession. We change the way we talk. This, if you go back to uh, verse 4 in that um, number 32, it says itself that the, the Lord himself defeated the congregation the country for the children of Israel. He actually went, they didn't fight for that land. God went there, defeated those people, put fear of the people of God in their heart so that all they just really needed to do was go there and take the land. Just go in and take it. But they saw themselves. Fear and unbelief usually starts with the way you see yourself. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. When God said you can take it, they saw themselves different. So you have to be very careful to know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Know what you are in Christ. Nothing is impossible for you. When God tells you to do something, you do it afraid. Half of the time, you can never go in with confidence. Because if you are able to do it on your own, if it really does come easy for for you, then... Most likely that wasn't even really God. Because our God is a supernatural God. And he's going to give you a supernatural vision. A supernatural calling. But that's unique to you. It's not what I can do. You can do. And what you can do, I can do. So every single one has a unique call. And a unique um, uh, destiny God has spoken into your life. However, you must out of... The, the, the love that you know God has for you, encourage yourself and begin to walk, even in little steps, to begin to do that which you know the Lord has called you to do. Let me tell you, time goes by fast. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm how old now? I was just 20 last year. Time goes fast. And God forbid for 25, 30 years, you're still in the same position of doubt and unbelief, not taking a step towards what you know. You know it. I mean, you know that you know that you know that this is what God has called you to do. But you just, every year meets you at the same spot. Every year. That's the value of Eshkol. And if you stay in that valley all your life, you will not meet your destiny. What God spoke over you when he created you, you will never fulfill it. I'm not saying that everybody is going to be behind a pulpit. Everybody is going to be, have, you know, 20, 30 thousands of people in front of you to minister to. Your call might just be to one person. Your call might just be to your children. You will have to find what your call is. If it's a big one, if it's a small one, God doesn't measure God doesn't reward you based on the, on the bigness of your ministry or on the bigness of your call. God rewards you on the faithfulness that you do. The faithfulness you, you carry out when it comes to your call. If you are afraid, you do it afraid. 
If you fail, you try again. But you just cannot sit down year in and year out, year in and year out, come to church, hear the word of God, go back, oh, should I, should I not, should I, should I not. You are in the valley of Eshkol. It's time to get out of that place. The house you built there, tear it down and move on. It says here in Numbers 32, 10 to 13, it says, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and God swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly wholly followed me, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have followed they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years. 40 years. Until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. So you can see from this scripture, unbelief and doubt is considered evil in the sight of God. When you have unbelief and doubt, God considers it evil. And because of that, some promises that God may have laid aside for your family, for your generation, that are coming, the generations coming after you, because of just one act of unbelief, not only do you miss out, you allow your children and your grandchildren to miss out. That's the, that's the one that really gets me. That my children's children will not walk in their fullness, the potent- full potential that they have, because I did not walk in the fullness of the potential God gave me. Let me give you an example. Have you noticed that most homes, if the dad is a real estate agent, the children want to do real estate? If the, fa- the, the mom or dad are counselors, the children want to do that? What if God called you maybe to be a nurse? But you just, oh, nothing is too hard. I can go to school. I can do that. But remember that maybe in answering that call, your children, your daughter or your son might be a nurse that's going to touch lives in other countries or here because of what they are going to do. And then their children see what they are doing and take it to a different level. Can you see just where your simple, simple obedience can affect lives? So when we try to, when God is, is prompting us to do something, let's, let's just make it very simple. If God is prompting you to do something, and you're thinking it's too hard, just make, try it. Just try. I mean, you can fail, but you can try again. I mean, look, I'm a nurse practitioner, I'm a nurse. My son, Omar, at the age of 13, went with me to medical missions. From that very day, he said he was going to become a physician. He's in his last year in medical school now. My daughter went with me to the Philippines for medical missions. All she was concerned about, all, all, all that drew her attention was that the kids, they just put soda in the feeding bottle and just give it to them. So all the kids from the time their teeth come out were all just rotten teeth. You know, you see the little kids, all their teeth. That's, the day, that's when Gracie decided she was going to be a dentist. She's in dental school now. What if I did not... Not, you know, and again, this is not about me. I'm just giving an example, okay? 
But you see what I'm saying? It could just be a simple obedience in doing what the Lord wants you to do. We have to remember sometimes it's never about us. We will be here 80, 90 years and we go. But as obedience to the Lord can keep things going generations, generations after us. That's what the Lord is saying here. Because of what he had planned, his anger was now aroused and it affected not only them but generations after them. Unbelief, doubt can rob you of destiny. The next one, the third valley is the valley of Kidron. K-I-D-R-O-N. The Bible talks a lot, a lot, a lot about the valley of Kidron. This valley was the valley that Jesus went through to see Mary and Martha when uh, Lazarus died. This was the same valley that Jesus went through again after he ate the Last Supper, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane before he was hurt and um, betrayed by, by Judas. This same valley is the one that David went through when he was running from his son Absalom, after Absalom rebelled. And if you read the scripture in 2 Samuel 15:23 in the New Living Translation, it says, Everyone cried loudly as the king, that's King David, and his followers passed by. They crossed the valley, the Kidron Valley, and then went out toward the wilderness. Kidron represents hurt. Kidron represents pain. Kidron represents disappointment. In fact, the root word of Kidron, from the Hebrew word, it was taken from the Hebrew word called Cedron, C-E-D-R-O-N, and it means to be heavy, to mourn with sackcloth, it also means to be covered with ashes. So the third valley we need to watch out for, and this one is another big one among women, is the valley of hurt. The valley of hurt. Where you've been hurt before, where somebody's disappointed you, where somebody offended you, where somebody caused you a lot of pain, and you've not been able to get past it. I am not here to take your pain lightly, believe me. I've been hurt before too, and I believe everyone here has been. I'm not going to take it lightly. It's painful. It almost destroyed you. But if you live in that pain, if you stay in that valley, you've given that person or those people more control over your life than you, than you even realize. If you refuse to move on, and heal from that hurt, from that pain. You've given those people control over your life for the rest of your life. They will move on. They will live a new life. They don't even think about you. And yet the bitterness and the hurt and the pain from what they did for, to you 10, 15, 20 years ago has crippled you and you cannot move on with your life. This valley... If you stay here long enough, if you allow that pain, if you allow that discouragement, that hurt, disappointment, if you allow it, that offense, it will keep you in the valley of Kidron. 
Jesus, when he went through that valley, he knew that one of the twelve was going to betray him. When King David went through that Kidron Valley, his own son was chasing after him to kill him. When Jesus, the first time he went through that valley, his good friend had died. But he didn't stay in the valley. He went through that valley to destiny, to do what needed to be done, to move ahead and to move forward. Like I said, I'm not saying your pain wasn't great. I'm not saying your disappointment wasn't great. All I'm saying, sister, is it's time to move forward. It's time to move ahead. God has good things in the future for you. God has better things in the future for you. I have a friend. Um, She was my very, I mean, one of my best friends when we were in high school. She got married a year before I got married. And we are in a cult, from a culture sometimes where the men, men are just really respected and revered and all of that. So she had a pretty difficult marriage. And one time we went for a crusade back home and she came to see me. She's from the area where uh, my husband is from. And she showed me her hand. Back home we use this uh, stove to cook and it has the, the one with the rings. It's what we use the most. The man just, I don't know whatever was going on, he put his, took her hand and he put it on the stove and won't let it go. So she has like rings. She's like, she's been marked for life, you know. So that finally made her leave the husband. And she was like, oh, I just, men are horrible, men are horrible. I'm sure. And I cried with her and I was like, oh my God, you needed to have, before this man killed you. But that was, she got married in 1990. That she left him in 1996. About, maybe about eight or seven, eight years ago now, she called me. She, there was one guy in church who was really godly man, you know, he was a widow, really trying to um, get together with her. What do I think? I said, okay, you know, let's pray about it. And uh, what's his name? And it so happened he goes to a church that I know people there in Abuja. So I called a couple of friends. I said, could you all please check and let me know, you know, she, she's just a, for counsel. And they called back and said, oh, yeah, he's a good brother. He's, he's really good. He's one of those that you can count on. He's involved in the ministry. He's, he's really on fire for the Lord, blah, blah, blah. So I called my friend back. I said, from everything I'm hearing, it seems like he's a good guy. Yeah, go for it. No, these men are all bad men. She just went on and I told her, I said, listen, that's your past. Your ex-husband is married, has grown children. You need to move on with your life. You can't let that, you know. God has healed. Let God heal you and move on. But she was, you know, gave this young, this poor guy was now being punished for, for what he didn't do, you know. Eventually, he, he moved on. He moved on and married somebody else. And she calls me crying. He didn't wait. He didn't wait. He didn't. Can you believe he's engaged? He just announced his engagement in church. I was like, he's been pursuing you for over a year and a half. He's, he's, I mean, he's late 40s now. He wants a companion. His first wife, the, the two kids they have are grown. He's been pursuing you. You've just given him a hard time. Eventually he had, I mean, you don't have an apron that he's, he has to be tied to just you. He's moved on. But you see, that's what I'm saying when you've been hurt. Especially for us women, it's always matters of the heart again. 
you know, just ter- that terrible divorce, that terrible marriage, or even right now you are in the marriage. That is hard, that's difficult, that's painful. You have to find a way to move on with your life and be happy. No man, only God should be that kind of in your life to control. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how to say. Only God has that power to control a, a human being. If you give that power to a man, he's become your God. He really has. So this value of heart, we must move past it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, 3 to 4. Let me see. Did I miss anyone? No, no, no. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. It says, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. You can't mourn and mourn and mourn and mourn without dancing. You can't weep and weep and weep and weep without laughing. God made it so it comes around in cycles. When you do one, after a while, it's time to do the other one. Because if not, you become lopsided. And the enemy just takes advantage of you. Amen? So don't stay in that place of hurt. God is going to use someone to help you to get out of that place. There was a scripture I'm looking for before I go to the next valley. Psalm 147 says, Jesus heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So your broken heart can be healed. God can bind it up. Look at this scripture, Psalm 84, 5 and 7. Oh, this scripture blessed me last night when I saw it. Oh, oh gosh. You know how the scripture just brings a scripture just like, that is it, Lord. That just, mm. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca is the, that's another, if you study the valleys in the Bible, do that, ladies. When you have time, go and study the valleys in the Bible. There are so many of them. And see what revelation God gives you. So it's, it's good. It's good. The valley of Baca is the valley of weeping, the valley of tears. He says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Not God. The person passing through it, you make that valley a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God. I had a picture in my mind. It says, you're crying. You're in the valley of tears and hurt and pain. But you're going and, and as you're going, the tears that are falling from your eyes are becoming pools that are helping somebody else. Are giving life to, the, the tears are giving life to somebody else. Your tears have not been wasted. And then you keep going and as you go, you're taking those steps. Even in your tears, God begins to make the rain to fall on you. And the rain washes away all the pain, all the disappointment. He washes it away from you. But you are taking the steps and using, you make the springs and God brings the rain. When you make the spring, God will bring the rain. But the way to do it is you move forward because you want to see God in Zion. That's your goal. Your tears may have blinded you, but you're still moving. You're still moving. And as you're going, you're using your tears to pull this sister out because she experienced the same thing. I said, come on, let's go. That is not, that's the past. That's not my future. And that's not your future too. 
And as you're crying, you pull this sister and say, come on, clean your eyes, come with me. God says, as your tears become spring to feed other people, to free them, to bring them along, God says he will cause the rain. Not just rain, he says pools. He didn't say one. He says he will cause pools, right? That's what he says. He says the rain also covers it with pools. Do you know what water and rain represents in the Bible? Not only just the Holy Spirit, but blessings. So the more you allow your tears to feed other people and to bring them out, God pours his blessings upon you as you move forward to see him face to face. See the beauty of that? So it's a decision you and I will have to make today. If you've been hurt, you've gone through a terrible divorce, somebody's treated you bad, you've been abused and used, yes, it was bad. It was painful. But it's time to move on. It's time to move on, sisters. It's time to let that pain be used by God. Let that pain be the hand that goes in now and draws somebody else out of their pain. Amen. Amen. The fourth valley is in Ezekiel 37, 1 to 4. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. didn't give the name to the valley, but it just says in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Verse 2, That he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many people very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? God is speaking now. So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The fourth valley that can destroy destiny is the valley of spiritual dryness. The valley of spiritual dryness. The valley of spiritual dryness. I can tell you this, there's nothing more refreshing than being around people that have a vibrant, fresh, fulfilling, rich relationship with the Lord. You can tell it, it's refreshing, it's satisfying, it fills you up, it sharpens you, and it makes you want to do more for the Lord. It is a dangerous place to be in when you don't have hunger for the things of God. It is a dangerous place to be in when you don't have hunger for the things of God and you don't care that you don't have hunger for the things of God. It is a dangerous place to be in when you can go days and weeks without opening your Bible, without getting on your knees. It is a very, very dangerous situation to be for you not to have a fresh Revelation from God on a regular uh, uh, basis. That is a very, very dangerous place to be. We are very good at faking. We are very good at putting on faces. We are very good at doing church. But let me tell you, God sees beyond those. If you don't have hunger for the things of God, cry out to Him to help you. Because He says, if you open up your mouth wide, I will feel it. But God is not going to come and grip, open your mouth for you. He said, you open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He will do his own part if you do your own part. 
And if you don't want to do your own part and you keep playing games, and I'm being very honest because people just play church. People play church. Just come to church because I have to be in church. If I don't come, pastor will ask of me. I wasn't in church. Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Nobody can tell. I mean, we can all speak the language. We all know exactly what to say. But you will know when you are dry. And that is not a place you want to be because it will kill your destiny. It will make you never to amount to the Christian God wants you to be. The revelation you get, God gives to you is supposed to help other people. What I found out in Christianity is never about me. It's never about us. It's never about you. God's purposes and plan work in, it's a, it's a kingdom. What I do affects you. What you do affects me. And so if what I'm supposed to do, I'm not doing it, somebody somewhere is being shortcharged. And God forbid that I should charge somebody else in Jesus' name. God forbid that. So if you have a word, God wants to speak to me through you. But you're not opening the word to get the revelation. How am I supposed to go? Who's going to get? He will use somebody else. Believe me, God always has a plan B, C, D, E. He will bypass you and use a donkey. You know, he's done that before. But would you want God to use a donkey in your place? If all you just, yeah, you know. Donkey speaking for Angela? Jesus, God forbid. One time, I was watching, you I may have watched it too. I don't know if it was on Facebook or TV. There was this um, underground church in China, and they had brought Bibles to them. It was a small congregation. And they all rushed. You saw them tearing the box. Probably about four or five boxes. Because before this time, they only have sections of the Bible. Like if they have one Bible, they would tear uh, like books and give one person. You, you have the Job. You have Luke. You have John. So that's how they read. They read one little section and then they pass it around to read the next section. So this one time they delivered Bible, it was on Facebook or TV, I don't remember. And they brought the boxes and they could have a whole Bible. This was how you would sit there carry the Bible. Crying. Oh my God. They were, I was like, look at me. We've become so familiar with God. We've become so familiar with His Word. I'm like, oh my God, the way, just the Bible. And I went over my house. There were like 20 Bibles. Some of them have not been opened in years. I have all translations that I wanted to read. But some of them, since I bought them, never been opened. I'm like, I mean, that thing touched my heart. Broke my heart. I'm like, gosh, we must never be too familiar with God. Never get too familiar with God. Even in your relationships, if you get, somebody gets too familiar to the point they wants to start insulting you, pull away from them. We do that to God all the time. We insult Him because we are not too familiar with Him. And when we do that, God will not be insulted. He will pull away from you. The Holy Spirit will take a seat. Just take a back seat. He will always come back when you want Him. But if you get too familiar with God, He will pull away. Until you draw near to Him again, He will not draw near to you. 
Babu is clear. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. If you choose not to draw near, he will stay away too. You don't, in this generation that we live in, you don't want God not to be like this with you. You cannot afford it to have God like this with you. How do you get out of spiritual dryness? The thing with spiritual dryness, when you're dry, you tend to stay, want to stay away and get drier and get more brittle. What you need to do is deliberate. It has to be a deliberate thing you do. Deliberately be in the presence of God among God's people. Listen to praise and worship. Fill your house, fill your car with praise and worship. Dance before the Lord in your bathroom. Make it real. Make it real. Constantly tell him, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Think of what he's done for you and tell him. And as you do that, the fire starts to burn again. The fire starts to come alive again. Talk to him as you would talk to a friend. That's the way to overcome spiritual dryness. Because if not, if you stay in that dry place, and God doesn't see a heart that's hungry, and you remain there, you can lose your destiny. You will not go as far as God wanted you to go. The fifth valley time is gone. I'll just quickly go over that. Quickly, quickly. The fifth valley is the valley of Hinnom. Hinnom. H-I-N-N-O-M. Hinnom. This valley is the valley where Judas hung himself after he betrayed Jesus. So this fifth valley of Hinnom represents guilt. It's the valley of guilt. One thing I can tell you all is we all make our mistakes. I'm going to go pretty fast on this too. We all make our mistakes. We've all sinned. Everyone, the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one here is perfect. However, your past sins and your past mistakes have been covered. And God says, I have put your sins from me as, the, as far as the east is from the west. He says, therefore... We no longer have condemnation. When you are in Christ, you no longer live under condemnation. You are free to be you and you are free to work for God. And if the enemy wants to put guilt on you, refuse to receive it. Because I've seen sometimes you want to do something, even just ordinary praise and worship, you want to do and he says, oh, you, you too, remember what you did yesterday? And you're like, oh, okay. No, don't do that. The enemy will want to use guilt and condemnation to make you stay in that valley. You need to step out. You need to do what you need to do. The grace of God doesn't just deal with ev- it deals with everything. Not only does it deal with your sins, forgive you, give you what you don't deserve. Gosh, if we all got what we deserve based on what we've done to the Lord, man, who will be here? Nobody will be here. If I think of some of the things I did when I was younger, I will be underground now, six feet under, just bones. But for the grace of God. And that same grace of God is what empowers you to live a good life, to live a life for Him. It means this grace thing that people think grace allows you to sin, allows you to live the way you... I'm like, they don't even understand grace. Maybe they never really lived a crazy lifestyle. Because if you lived a crazy life, and you know what God brought you out of, and you're so thankful for Him, to Him, that grace is poured upon you, empowers you not to want to do anything. You don't want to do anything at all to make his heart mad at you. You just want to please him. And if you make any mistake or you do anything, you're just so repentant. Lord, forgive me because I know where you brought me from. I don't ever want to be there again. 
So the grace of God is there for us. The grace of God takes away every guilt and every shame and every condemnation. Amen? Y'all are so quiet. The last valley is the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the sixth valley, the valley of Jehoshaphat. You find that in Joel 3, 12 to 14. Let the nations be wakened. Let the nations be wakened. I'm saying that again. Wake up. Let the nations be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will seek to judge. This is God speaking. For there I will seek to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The valley of Jehoshaphat is the valley of decision. What God was saying here is that the valley of decision represents double-mindedness in the things of God. You're there, decision, 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 but you can't make a decision. You're not sure what you believe. You're not sure where you stand. Unfortunately, too many of us, too many Christians, they live in that place. Being double-minded and not taking a stand for what you know and what you believe. You are easily swayed by every wind of doctrine. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man never stands with the Lord. Lukewarmness is one thing Jesus detests. He says, I'd rather have you cold and I'd rather have you hot. If you're hot, we know, yeah, firebrand. If you're cold, we know. He knows to pray for you before the Lord, before his father, to pray that this child of mine doesn't go astray. But if you're aware, he cannot really tell. He says he will spit you out of his mouth. That, that was Jesus speaking. These are the days that you have to know what you stand for. And take a stand. We cannot live on the edge. There are some things I see. I say, and I will be very honest with you. As a pastor's wife and as a pastor. I don't believe a godly woman should be drunk. I don't believe it testifies well of you that you are a Christian and you, you, you get drunk. I don't think if you sit among people and you tell them you drink every day, it's going to minister to them. I know some people drink. I just go with what the scriptures say. If the world knows that a Christian shouldn't be drinking, should a Christian be drinking? We don't believe that this church, we don't water it down. If you don't agree, the door is there. Go to where they can scratch your ears and give you watered down gospel. See, one thing is one day we all have to stand before the Lord and tell the Lord, or rather let him judge us for what he put in our hands. Ten people in church, Jesus, twelve people, he used it to turn the world upside down. If you say the truth and nobody wants to hear it and they want to leave, we don't believe in drinking here. 
As a woman of God, I mean, look at the women in the Bible. Read, I mean, do a study on the women in the Bible and see dignity and see focus and see being sold out. Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of uh, James, the ones that went to the tomb when Jesus was killed, uh, after he was buried, that early morning, those women that went there, they had been following Jesus. Once Mary Magdalene was set free from her demons that, that, that tormented her, from that very day, she followed Jesus. From that day, never went back to what he saved her from. To the point that even when he was dead, their devotion to him still did not waver. The men were hiding. Three women got up early in the morning to go and make sure his body doesn't stink. To go and make sure my Lord, he saved me, took me from all of that. Magdala is a place of prostitution. So Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. When God saved her from that, she followed Jesus. Even after he died, she didn't want the smell of her Lord. She went there with ointment to anoint him. And when she couldn't go in, she was devastated. And the gardener said, she said, where have you put his body? Because she didn't want anything. He was dead. We serve a living God. And we can't give up our drink. And we want to be in the same heaven with these people. I was like, you know, we have to. Christianity is a cross. Jesus said, you take your cross daily and follow me. It is a cross. It is not convenient. You can't say, I want to do what my flesh wants and I want to serve the Lord. You're deceiving yourself. If you hear anything from me today... If you deceive yourself, that's the worst kind of deception. If you need help, go to God and say, Lord, help me. Help me to even see where I'm wrong. But you can't live on the edge and say, okay, I'm right here. This is the world. This is where I'm really supposed to be. If I stay right here, I may still make heaven. No, you're going to fall over. You're going to, I promise you, you're going to fall. I'm not here to judge anybody. If you drink, that's fine with you. I'm not... You know me, I say it like it is. But I want to let you know, if you're really a woman of God, if you really want to serve God, if you can have a drink with Jesus, then go ahead. Then go ahead. Let me read a scripture for you. First Kings 18.21 It says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Follow him. You make up who you want to follow and follow. If I know when I wasn't saved, I was the most troublesome person in my village. I beat up men, I beat up women. They knew me for it. They have a name for me. If you say who is a Joe, they know it's Angela Kotiebo. Everybody, even in my village to this day, I was that stubborn. But when I got saved, if you tell me, I would start crying. I mean, completely different. If you say if you if you've been saved, there has to people have to see and know that there's been a marked change. If not, really question what you say you saved you got saved from. 
Daniel 1 verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. He purposed in his heart. God is still looking for purposed, hearted Christians who will stay away from any appearance of evil, who will know what they stand for, and stand and stand and stand. Don't play with fire. Being double-minded is playing with fire. God says it's coming down. Judgment is coming. We know we're in the end days. Any day, blink of an eye, the trumpet will sound. Don't be found being double-minded. That's a valley that if you're found in, it's eternal. You miss heaven. Stand up with me. I hope you got something out of this. I wasn't, um, never meant to be judgmental. You know, I really don't mean that. But I just want to let you know that there are some things we need to really ask. Especially as women, people look up to us. People are looking. People are watching. Our children watch. Our grandchildren watch. People outside watch us. You may not know, but they are watching you. And there's a scripture that says when they, they came to see Jesus, the apostles were in the way. The apostles didn't allow them to see Jesus. Sometimes people are coming to Jesus, but it's us in the church that's preventing them from seeing Jesus. So we need to all examine ourselves. The six valleys we've talked about. Go home today, look at them and ask God to help you if you're in one of those and really make effort, make plans to get out of that valley. Make concrete plans, purpose in your heart what you would do to get out of that valley. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your word is everlasting. You never change your word for anybody. We change ourselves to align with your word. Your word is eternal. You honor your word above your name. Father, I've given your people your word. Do what you can do. Change hearts, oh God. Bring new purpose and, and just a decision to live hard after you. Every pain and every hurt, every disappointment we leave behind us. Every sin, every secret sin we leave behind us. Weeping and just for the night, but Lord, we say our joy has come. We will have joy this day. Father, we'll make a decision to love you all the days of our lives. To be passionate about you and the things of God. Have your way in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Michelle.